Hey associates! Alright, so this lecture is really about a category of technical writing that we can consider action reports and briefs. Now, I don't want you to get too caught up in this category. It's not necessarily like an official kind of thing. It's really just a way for me to break up our content this semester. And so all of these genres that we're going to be talking about and specific documents in this lecture um, are united in that they really revolve around actions. Now, of course, overall technical writing is way more about actions and helping users take actions, make decisions, complete actions. Um, but these documents specifically um, are really going to focus on things that drive action forward by really summarizing and focusing different work situations. Um, and so you can kind of think of that as like action reports, capturing action, documenting action, directing kind of action. And then I also combine them with this idea of a brief, which a brief just means a short, usually just a couple pages max document that is meant to capture the key specifics for longer projects, kind of bigger pieces of planning. Uh, so all of the types of documents we'll be talking about today are really pretty short. Um, they don't tend to be too, too long. Of course, there's exceptions, but they definitely tend to be shorter pieces of writing that are hyper-focused on a specific situation and then specific actions that we are trying to move forward, document, or have some of that representation around. Perfect. I'll put myself right there. Okay, let's get to it. Um, and so the purpose of this lecture is to really capture the why. So we're going to start with, okay, why do we capture action in these document forms? Um, why is it important to just like document what's happening at work? And then we will actually go through right, some of the genres and just expectations, the sections, and the types of content that we usually include in this form of writing. Um, and, you know, with these, there's a lot of different ways that these kind of action-focused reports and the idea of a brief present itself um, when we're writing. Um, and so again, we're going to focus on the key content and then things like the design and the layout or, you know, the specifics. You might have to add a section here or take away a section there, just depending on your actual workplace and situation. All right. So first, why do we bother documenting action anyway? Why are we going to capture it? Why do we need to explain to people what we're up to in the workforce? And one of the reasons why we write things down is basically so that way we can create, you know, what we think of as a paper trail, right? And so for better or worse, there definitely is an idea um, in sort of especially American workplaces that sort of the person that's really good at documenting and expressing and sharing what is happening gets this kind of edge of authority. Um, and they also are able to, right, be more accountable, show some of that accountability um, to just what is happening around us. And so it's worth, you know, using these genres, no matter kind of what workplace you end up in, if it's more on the business administrative side, if it's more of like a technical side, a field side, a medical side, an engineering side, like whatever kind of job you end up in, um, being able to 
capture what is happening around you, explain to somebody the actions that you've taken, recommend the actions moving forward, uh, definitely can give you some of that really strong just like authority um, and be a really strong way to show kind of your value and just what has been happening. So the big picture, the big thing to remember, like why we are going to talk about any of these genres at all is because we want to document what's up and drive action forward. And so the genres we're going to talk about that are really good at doing this are going to be our emails, memos, things like incident reports or accident reports. It's going to be progress reports, and then it's going to be the different types of briefs that we'll go over. And all of these genres really explain to, you know, the folks in charge, the folks on your team, your clients, whoever, um, even yourself, uh, just what is happening around around you, around us, and what needs to happen next. They're documents that really help drive things forward. Um, and so they do that really by serving as, again, a reference. So it's a document. We Again, we keep them short because it's something that you could pull up again and you could pull up at a meeting, um, for example, uh, and that you'd really be able to, you know, use as a reference, be like, here's what we did, here's what we need to do. It's also a great way to visualize, um, share, and then ultimately have something that you can discuss at team meetings, or even better use these do documents to avoid the meeting. You know, meetings that could have been an email is a very real thing. Um, but it's a way to just share and make sure everybody knows what's been accomplished, what needs to be accomplished, and how things turned out. So for all of these genres, just keep this core goal of document what is up, drive our actions forward. Uh, and there's kind of four basically common or likely scenarios that I would estimate or guess you'll probably encounter, um, again, across kind of whatever job or workplace or industry you end up in. Um, and so these are those kind of action-focused brief reports are really helpful in these four kind of types of situations. So the first one is if you need to summarize right a situation. So maybe that you travel for work and then you need to submit something like a trip report that explains all of your expenses and the outcomes of your trip. Um, so that would be a really great sort of action-based report. Again, it'll be super short. Um, or if something happens like your lab equipment maybe breaks down, you need to document, you know, what happened, how it impacts the workflow, when it needs to be fixed, um, if parts need to be ordered. All that is just about summarizing a situation so that way you can hand it off to, you know, the powers that be uh, and get that resolution that you need. Uh, the next thing that you might use it for probably, uh, I, I'd say probably the most common for us is sharing progress status. Um, and so if you have a lot of long-term projects um, and probably your clients or your supervisors or even the rest of your team um, as you're working with, you know, all these different people on a project, they need to know, right, that you're still on track basically. And so we create progress reports or the kind of just documents that share and capture the progress status. Um, so that way everybody knows that you are spending their money accordingly. You're spending your time accordingly. Actual results are happening, right? The deliverable is going to come. And so this is really common for funding, right? Because if people are giving you money, 
they really want to know that their money's going towards something. Um, but we also use them, or you probably will also use less formal versions, uh, again, to just send over to your team or as like a quick check-in, maybe with your project manager or your product manager or your supervisor. So we have way more formal versions that might go to your like investors or your actual clients if you're contracted to do something. And then we have more informal versions that often just show up as like team meetings and kind of check-ins or that you would just get to like your project manager more frequently. So summarizing situations, sharing progress status, super, I'd say the most common high chance that you'll need to document and write out uh, something for those two situations, no matter where you sort of end up working, um, or if you maybe own your own business, you'll probably want to expect those from the people working under you, that kind of thing. Um, but then the two other kind of situations that are pretty common is to request stuff or complain or, you know, ask for like adjustments if something goes wrong. Um, so these are kind of specific, but it's really like, if you end up working with budgets in any way, it is going to be pretty common for you to have to file official reports to request like more money basically for what you need. And you're going to have to explain how much you need, why you need it, you know, why there's no other alternatives, where it's going to come from, you know, why is this specific thing, service product good, um, you know, necessary and why can't you get some other alternative? All of those are things that you would put in sort of your short report or your letter um, to justify and explain and ultimately request right, what it is that you need. We like to have, again, that paper trail, having that clear thing that you can reference back to. Um, you also might need to submit these to manufacturers or service providers um, that you can't just order online. And so as you get, you know, into that, like scaled up kind of sphere and that more like industrial and industry level sphere uh, orders happen. You know, it's not like going online and just adding it to your shopping cart like we get to do as consumers. Um, it definitely is a lot more common to, you know, need to actually reach out to their salespeople, um, possibly submit this kind of request or you put it like in the email to their service folks. Um, so that way you can, you know, get the quote or you can get your order or your bid put in. Um, so that's, you know, if you're in an ordering space um, and working with really big companies on really expensive <laughs> equipment and stuff, uh, you probably will need a little bit more of this formal kind of paper trail instead of just sort of checking out online. Um, and then last, if something goes wrong with that order, um, you might need to submit or at least document, you know, what happened. Um, it could be in the form of what we just call like a complaint letter, which is basically sending the information back to that service provider, that manufacturer. Here's, you know, what it was supposed to be. Here's what it actually is. What's wrong with it? You know, the adjustments, the refund, the replacement part, the thing that we are asking for. Um, and you just put that together in a document again so you can save it, reference it, kind of track it along the process until you get your resolution. Um, and so requesting stuff. You know, it's a little bit more specific. Some of us will end up using that a lot depending on our jobs. Others, you know, will probably not really see it or you might just see a copy of one that your purchasing people bought um, or submitted on your behalf. Um, that's definitely a time where we absolutely might see that. And then last is just to direct action. Um, I think this is one of the least common for most people just because it's going to be 
when you're at more of like a leadership level, and obviously there's only so many, you know, director positions or whatever in a company. Um, and so these kind of directives or the scenario where you have to direct action um, is when you kind of document and get right out. So it's very clear for people, here's the actions that need to be taken and why and how we're going to make sure it gets done. Um, just a very high level kind of leadership thing. But you might definitely have to write some of these if you, you know, get the opportunity to oversee an intern or something in your workforce someday, or if you just are leading a smaller team and you become the project lead, um, you might write these on a smaller scale. Uh, but we see in more of a formal directive, um, this a lot more like government sectors, especially where they send out memos for like new policies that the other agencies need to comply with. Um, and so, these things being written, again, definitely happens at kind of a high level um, for sure. But if you do even just have a project team, uh, you might need to at least document in some informal ways the action that is happening. Cool. Um, because this this sort of type of writing, again, all writing in our field, we have to really pay attention to ethics, absolutely. Um, but because this is really about, you know, documenting a situation and helping people act, we have some kind of specific ethical considerations to really pay attention to that go beyond our golden general rule as technical writers, as good communicators of just be honest, accurate, and clear. Um, we're actually going to go a little bit deeper into that. And so some of these like ethics that we really want to think about for action reports um, in these briefs, especially um, things like withholding information, since we are using a really small space, um, they are going to be short reports or focused reports as writers, we have to make choices and the opportunity of what our readers need to know, right? What is our ethical responsibility to share versus, you know, kind of bloating basically your document and suddenly turning what should be a couple of pages into like 15 pages that like nobody's going to read. That's way too long. Um, and so we really want to think about if we withhold information, especially with bad news, what a problem that creates. And so often these types of reports, again, it's emails, progress reports, incident, accident reports. Um, usually it, it, it might contain some bad news. Um, and so most commonly it's going to be, hey, you might need to adjust or update what the deliverable is actually going to be or the end product, right? We set out and a client agreed to one thing as you got into the design and the production of it, you know, it's not going to work that way. And so you might need to send them, right, this status update of, hey, we thought it was going to be this, but here's the new plan. Here's what it's going to turn out as. Um, and honestly, they might get that and decide to stop funding your project or, you know, kind of terminate the contract. You know, that's that they need the information to make those decisions for them themselves as well. Um, so just make sure that we don't withhold information that they need while also just balancing that with don't dump every single detail in there and bury sort of the important information behind a bunch of kind of meaningless stuff, because that's also a bad kind of ethical principle, um, burying kind of bad news and details and fine print. Um, so basically, just say what's up and make sure you have those key details and changes and it's clear and easy for them to see, even if it might be the end of your project. Um, the other kind of most common 
ethical, I guess, uncomforts that we run into with this genre is when we don't meet the schedule, right? So progress fell behind. Um, so, you know, in this class, right, your extensions are automatic as long as you submit your progress with a note. Essentially, you are giving me a progress status with this kind of bad news of, sorry, I, I'm not going to meet, you know, the deliverable date. I'm not going to make the due date. Um, and so that happens in classes and it's going to happen now in the workforce on your projects as well. Projects fall behind. Budgets need to change. You know, we do our best to stick on schedule. We really want to stay, you know, under budget or on budget, but it's just a reality that those things do change. And so the important thing is that you document what the changes are, why they're happening, what the new projections are going to be, make it very clear, uh, very direct for whoever is, you know, approving or kind of responsible for those items. So that way they can, again, make the decision that they need. Um, so just document honestly, thoroughly, so everybody knows what happened and how to move forward. Um, and so, I mean, just in my personal experience, just quick kind of story with this, I have found that most people, most shareholders, stakeholders, aren't that upset when plans change because we have all been through it. If you have ever had to manage any kind of project or plan any kind of event or just work with groups of people at all, we know that things happen, right? And we have lives outside of our specific jobs. And so I personally have found that people don't tend to be that upset that the plan is changing as long as they are told about it right away and clearly and completely, right? So the, the problems tend to creep up when you do kind of withhold or just like avoid, you know, writing that document or sending that email or, you know, explaining it in that meeting. Um, so as long as as soon as you like figure out that things are changing, you document it, you send the, the status update, you try to come up with some solutions, have a clear path forward, um, and things usually are all right. Um, so most recently, this happened to me uh, kind of last summer, I was working uh, as a, on a freelance contract to do some technical writing um, for like an, an organization. And I was actually teamed up with another freelance contractor. We were supposed to work on this project together. Um, and that person had to drop out for like personal reasons. Again, happens. She just went ahead and, you know, told our project manager about the situation, like, you know, as soon as they kind of could. Um, could be maybe a little sooner, but no, it was fine. Like, I assume they're like, no, I cannot continue on. You know, they made sure the project manager knew about it, communicated it with me. Um, and that was fine. I was like, okay, you know, take care of you. Like, it's, it's fine. We still got to move forward, but like, thank you so much for telling us in your work, etc. Um, and then, uh, basically the project manager and I sat down and created like a new timeline. Um, and I kind of said, okay, now that I'm doing the work that was meant for two people, you know, by myself, here is the new timeline and it is going to be longer, right? Than the oops, original delivery date, because before we thought we'd have two people working on it. Here's how much more time I need to make up for that. Um, and then I also right, requested a change in the budget. Hey, since I'm now doing more of the work, can I have like revisit my pay for this contract? Um, and having it, you know, written up, super clear, very direct, um, the logic, you know, it was all very well laid out in my, um, sort of document, my progress status report. Um, and then when we talked about it, they immediately were like, yes, 
great, sounds good. Uh, and then just as the project continued, I sent updates, hey, we're on track, we're on schedule, um, and was able to finish with that new timeline just fine. So again, it's just, even though like, wow, this big disruption happened in the middle of the project and some important things had to change, it was that quick and that very clear communication really honestly made it no big deal at all. But it would have been a big deal, right, if like my teammate had just ghosted and then suddenly it's like, what, what are we doing? What am I supposed to do? How am I going to get this done? Um, so, you know, be an ethical person and basically just make sure, right, that you explain what's happening honestly, accurately, clearly, you know, and kind of as soon as reasonably possible and you'll be just all right, let's spend a little bit of time now just talking about um, the expectations, right? So now that we kind of understand why and just generally how to capture action, what situations, why we might go to these more action-focused reports, these briefs um, for, let's just go through some genre expectations for it. And again, um, it absolutely can shift and change on the context. You might have more information for one thing. You might be able to drop some of these sections. So I'm going with kind of the core things that you can build around and adjust. And by genre, I throw this word out a little bit, but by genre, I really mean documents that have enough similarities and sort of set expectations that they are recognized and like used for a specific purpose. And so think about like, a comedy film, right? Or a comedy TV show. Um, a comedy film, even though we have a lot of variety within the comedy genre, you can have, you know, your rom-coms, which are a little bit different than like raunchy comedy, which is a little bit different than, you know, like a bro-centric comedy, which is a little bit different than like animated comedy, right? So they have variations for the situation, but we still recognize all of those movies as a comedy because they have these really high level similarities and they serve these high level purposes. Um, and so they're all similar, you know, to each other. And we can tell quickly that this is a comedy and this is a horror movie. And again, we have subgenres, variation of what makes a horror film, but we still recognize this is horror, this is comedy, purpose of horror, purpose of comedy. So think about that same idea for all these documents that we'll be talking about today and, and for the rest of the semester, really. So these documents, right, they are similar in like the situations they get used. They're similar in what to expect and some of the like really high level key pieces, even though there might be some variations um, to them as well. And so we're thinking about, you know, we can always recognize a progress report, even though they might look a little bit different. Progress reports, very different genre, very clear distinctions to things like an incident report. And that could be in the formatting, you know, and how um, the goal and the information, right? Uh, the other thing to just keep in mind and sort of other note to make, like um, some of these genres, specifically things like memos, can be combined with other genres. So you might include a letter of transmittal, which is basically a cover letter or memo, 
to the front of a formal proposal. So altogether, right, it's like, oh, yay, here's my proposal. That's one genre. But the very front thing, that little memo at the beginning is its own kind of subgenre. So you can sort of stack them as well. Just something to keep in mind. Um, don't get so caught up in like the genre names and focus more on what information needs to be presented in what kind of situation and what's going to help your audience. All right. So a couple features um, oops, oh no, of action reports. I lost myself for a second. All right, so um, some of these features basically of action reports uh, to you keep in mind. First, um, all of these kind of action-focused reporting tend to have three key areas um, in common at the very high level, and then we'll get into the specific kind of subgenres there. But typically we're gonna put things like contact information, and other just like situational identifiers on the document, usually up front, right? And this is something that may or may not appear on other like genres and types of writing, but for these types of, of reports, super important. Um, and so basically, you know, think of like your email headers or all the business contact information on like a letter or an invoice, right? Since these are about action, um, we like to just make sure that the reader knows who is doing the documenting and where to go for help, the next steps, more information. Um, so that contact and logistics definitely shows up big time for us. The second thing is gonna be things like the scope, expectations. Um, and so basically, you know, we include what we just call the scope of a project, which are the boundaries of that situation. These reports, they're short. So they wanna be super focused, right? You wouldn't write one progress report for every single thing that you are working on. Chances are high, you'll have more than one project going at one time. Um, and so, side note, when you know, you're know you in like an interview situation and if they ask about things like your project management, don't forget that you have spent all of college balancing multiple projects happening at the same time in very different areas, right? Um, so just don't don't forget that and don't get too intimidated. You have been doing multiple projects simultaneously like your whole academic life. Um, but you wouldn't write one progress report to explain every single thing that you are doing in a semester, right? One progress report for every single project you're working on, you know, that quarter in your job. Instead, you write one report with a super specific scope, right? So you're telling the reader, this progress report is just about project A, which is, you know, the usability testing phase. Here are the outcomes tasks. And then you would write a completely different progress report with a scope of project B that's, you know, in a different phase, has different tasks, different people working on it. So putting kind of the idea of scope and expectations into these action reports, you know, just keeps it very narrow focus and tells the reader as they're trying to reference back to it, oh, this incident report was just about this accident. Maybe there's 10 accidents that day. I don't know, that'd be terrible, but maybe there was. You would then have to write 10 different like incident reports to make sure that you could reference each of them appropriately and correctly. 
And then the last, again, these reports, action focused. So we're always going to be focusing on the next actions and the timelines. Um, and so basically telling people what happens next. Again, you might include like recommendations or suggestions in some of our other technical writing genres, sure. Um, but in these um, types of reports and these specific genres of reports, definitely a heavy emphasis of what comes next? What are the upcoming tasks? What is the new timeline? Um, if you do have to do like an, an incident report, often you're going to outline the timeline of both the accident and then is there going to be like an investigation? Is it closing? You know, what's kind of the next steps? So those are going to be our three kind of big categories that again, just help us think about these specific genres and documents um, that we're going to talk about here. So Emails, memos, letters. I'm kind of grouping them together um, because they have a very honestly weird and confusing uh, aspect to them as technical writers, as business people, as people in general. Um, and so the confusing thing that comes with our email, memo, and letter situation is that they can be both the document itself or they can be the medium to achieve documentation that's actually technically a different genre. So they either are, I'm writing an email, and that's like the document, the genre, or it could be, I'm writing an email that conveys my progress report, right? Let's unpack that a little bit more. So, um, Common sections that really unite emails, memos, letters, and why, again, they could be a document in and of themselves, or they could be more the delivery mode for some of these other genres because they have some features, like these top sections here are very inherent to the like medium themselves, but then the content is very open-ended. What do you want to write about? That's where you could put a progress report in, for example. So the comment sections for all of these, because um, they do share a very common kind of history with email sort of um, in some way supplanting the letter, right? So again, you might send an email that contains your letter. We'll, we'll talk about it, but just know they, have a, they share a common history with that end goal of being like, this is addressed to kind of specific people or group of people um, to deliver kind of formalized information. So first, you're going to have a letterhead. Um, even if you're not writing a letter, we still call it the letterhead. Um, and it's just your contact information or your company's contact information. And I used, hey, this is from this company. This is from me. Then you have what we just call the attention line. Just think of that as the two line, right? And so sometimes you might address an email, and especially memos often get addressed to uh, more abstract audiences, just in terms of it could be like the whole company is receiving this memo. So it's less of a two and more of like, who needs to pay attention, right? So you, that's how you can kind of think of the attention line is who needs to pay attention to this, right? Who are you writing to? Uh, then uh, you're going to have some sort of subject, basically um, letters. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. Um, but for the most part, Emails and memos definitely are going to have a subject line, which is basically just a heading that indicates the topic of the document. Um, and so in emails and memos, it literally will be like subject, right? In your email platform, you have a, an actual 
place in the form to type it in. Uh, for letters, it might end up more just like the first heading where you explain it in the letter itself. And then you get into the content. Just remember to tell your audience the purpose statement, right? Why are they reading this email? Why are they reading this memo? What is this letter accomplishing? Um, and then you just give them all the details that they need to know. Keep it relevant to the scope you're working within. Uh, and then the last kind of common thing, um, and it's a little bit of like a traditional holdover since so often we send these things digitally and, and you see literally the attachment, you know, in the inbox. Um, but just to make sure that it doesn't get forgotten, you can add an enclosure, which is basically just a note about any attachments or other documents that are sent with that item. And the enclosure, it came from a time when we literally had to like send a packet. I mean, I never had to do this. I'm not that old, um, but I hear, right, there used to be a time where you, you know, would actually send it over or you would fax it over and there's a chance that the other documents that you sent could get like lost or shuffled or not make it. So writing that enclosure just basically tells people, you know, at the end of your letter, the end of your memo, hey, by the way, you should have also gotten the budget spreadsheet or something. Okay, so those are the common sections. Let's look at some specific examples. So first, emails. I think these are the most common, just like place of confusion because they are used so much, but for a couple different specific like contexts or ways. Um, so you might be sending, right, an email as the actual action report to the team. Right, so if it's the actual kind of action report, it's more to a smaller audience, has that focus, and all of your logistics and the scope and the next steps contained in the email itself. Right, so what you're writing is an email that captures a situation, directs an action. But your email could also be the method of delivery for those files and other documents, right? So you could send, you know, an email that actually has your formal proposal in it, right? You could send an email that actually is a memo, but we don't want to fax out or mail a memo, so we send it as an email, but you're not actually writing an email, you're writing a memo and using email to deliver it. Right? <laughs> okay. Some examples, I think we'll clear this up, but just know you either, you know, if you're saying truly I am writing an email and treating it as the genre, it's almost always going to be a much smaller audience, very focused, very like individual and kind of personal. If you're sending an email to a lot of people and you don't really have an expectation for them to reply, um, it, you're probably just using email as the delivery method to get some other genre out. And then of course, emails can always be clutter if, you know, it's not very clear what it is at all. Um, uh, so make sure we don't over flood people's inboxes. Um, but the big things about email, right? You have your two line, um, your letterhead basically gets built into your email platform. Um, so you have your attention line is the two, and then you have your from and your date kind of serves that letterhead. You'll be automatically attached to it because of the platform. And then you have your subject. Um, keep the subjects nice short anything more than like nine ten words is going to get probably cut off on their computer screen one and two you know just too much to process i'm reading the subject line to just get the like really big what is this topic generally about 
um, then you, you know, start with who you're addressing it to. Again, if you're writing as a genre, especially, who's it to? You start out, give your purpose statement, right? Give kind of the thesis, the point of view, the orientation to the big topic, give your purpose, give the actual information, hit it with a little bit of design. We love it. Make it easy to read, quick to read, um, and you'll be, be in a really great place. Um, one last kind of just note about this as a method of, as this uh, method of delivery situation here. Um, this is getting a little bit easier and less confusing, I think, because we are now using things like OneDrive um, to share the files directly. So we don't always have to actually embed it in an email anymore. You can just literally, you know, view the link share for the incident report, for the memo, for the invoice, like directly to people. Um, so we might start to see that happening more and more and more in the work workplace or you send it versus uh, send it over chat. Hey, by the way, here is my proposal and you just send it over like a chat possibly. Um, so there's just something to keep in mind though. Is it what you're writing or is it just delivering your writing? So uh, in the real world, uh, here's, you know, an example that I got here. Let me, um, myself real quick. So um, we have our email, right? We have the subject line shows up up here on, on the way Outlook, you know, shows it to me. Again, very specific, you know, a little bit long, but I, I get the under, I get the picture. I do understand, right? Then there's the from information over here, the attention, right? It was sent to me. Um, Outlook always gives you notes on like if you reply or not. Um, and you have your date information over here as well. So things we notice, right? This is specifically to me. So this is an email as the genre, like the email is the document. This is the only thing, right? This is, they sent me an email. Um, so it's to somebody specific. In this case, um, they do have a, um, the thesis and the topic, that one's super clear, right? Doing annual computer inventory. In this case, the purpose statement is implied. And for emails, that definitely happens more and more and is okay. I do want you though to focus as you are practicing and starting out and just make sure that you do explicit purpose statements, right? As good practice, um, you know, until you have, you know, good rapport with whoever you're sending it to and you just get more and more comfortable. But in this case, right, the thesis, the topic, the orientation is, hey, this is about the annual computer inventory, and I'm missing some information. And then the purpose is basically, I have to submit that information, and then here's the implied part. So the purpose of this email is to ask you for that information. All right, so it's just a implied and hidden purpose statement. I encourage you to practice doing explicit purpose statements as you're, you know, really getting strong and empowered and confident as technical writers. Uh, and then they have the information, any other context, they sign off, and then their letterhead basically shows up down here in email. We call it the signature line. So when we say, oh, email as a genre or, oh, we're writing an email. This is what we're talking about. The only thing that you're writing is that email. That is the document. That is the genre. That is the purpose. On the flip side, you could have, right, 
an email just as that most efficient delivery method. So this is also technically an email I received, but this is not an email as an email. This is an email as the delivery method for uh, what essentially is just kind of like a memo sort of action, action report, really. Um, and so this content, again, easily could have been presented as a memo. It really follows more of what we consider the memo genre, um, with the exception of it having, a, like, my name specifically put in there. That was automated. Somebody did not take the time to type that out to me directly, I rest assured. Um, and so this, they use the email to deliver this content in a very one-to-many way, right? And so this was actually definitely being sent to kind of all the faculty across the whole university, right? And that's one really good hint. Are, if you're using email as a delivery system, it's probably going to a bunch of people. And there is no expectation for me to reply to this, right? emails as a genre have an expectation that you'll get a reply or a direct response. Emails as a delivery system, you know, don't necessarily have that expectation. Um, and in fact, later, like at the very bottom that gets cut off, it says like, don't reply to this email directly, basically. Um, cool. Cool. So, See kind of the difference is there's the email that's actually an email. It's very personalized. There's a clear you should reply to this versus email just sending us content and information. Uh, okay, so now let's actually get into a memo. So this is, again, one more example of an email that I received, but this is email as the delivery system. And in this case, they attached the memo as its own file instead of embedding it in the email itself. Um, and so we have kind of that point, that thesis, hey, prepare for the spring semester. Then we have our purpose statement, very explicit. Attached, you will find, you know, the memo and that you should like read it basically. So when I clicked open that link, again, notice one to many. When I clicked open that link, that is where we get to the memo itself. So again, way too long to have embedded into an email itself. It needs to be its own document. Um, and this ended up being, you know, like five, I think, pages. And so the things with memos. So can we have our letterhead kind of up here? Um, and they sort of built in their subject line um, using just keywords from it. Um, a little bit of an intro. Again, we get a really nice, you know, purpose statement. Um, the point is to remind you of some of the important policies and deadlines. That is the purpose of this memo. Remind us of the important policies and deadlines, right? And then they use a lot of little design strategies, color, color blocking, you know, bolding, bullet points to make it super easy for me to skim through um, and reference later. Memos also often have tables in them. Um, so that way we can make it, again, easy to scan, skim, and reference quickly. That's the goal. A memo is really there for like official information that you know people are going to need to reference back to later, that they need to know that has that air of like importance to it. Um, and then I could save this and easily be like, wait, what was the deadline for this? When do I need to do that? And kind of circle back to it. Okay. 
Uh, letters. Letters, letters, letters. Here, I can come back here. Hi. Hi. Uh, okay, so letters. We don't... I personally have not really had to send a letter outside of a cover letter or uh, like a, a offer letter, um, which is just... Um, you know, when you're like the hiring manager and you actually want to hire that person, right, you might give them an offer letter. Those are the only two types of letters I've ever had to send, but I definitely have still had to use the principles of a letter. Um, and essentially, letters have just turned into emails. But this is where that weird, confusing bit comes into play. So I have not ever had to send an actual letter. I always send it via email, but I definitely am writing much more of uh, letter content, much closer to the letter genre, using email as the delivery system. Make sense? Uh, times when I've had to do it, even just recently, you know, trying to get the software invoice paid, um, and it like the card wasn't working, and this and that was happening, so I had to reach out, you know, to, to their customer service. Technically, you know, I wrote an email because that was the delivery medium and it was my content of my letter was embedded into the email. But the things I was doing in that email really were much more in line with what we would have, what we would think of as like a complaint letter or like a request letter. Don't overthink it. Know that probably this will be an email, but it's, think of it as a super formal email, way more, you know, formal and specific than that true email example we just went over. If you have to ever have to write this, it's going to be a very, you know, formal kind of specific sort of polished action focused um, sort of piece of writing um, with your goal usually is to document a situation and then request actions to fix it. So in this case, right, we do, we have the contact headings here, do do doop again. If it's delivered as an email, you may or may not need to necessarily do this part because it's built into the email template, but you could also, you know, write this up as an actual letter, like on its own Word document, and then insert it into your email. But we have that contact information, right? Then we have our, our um, opening, our subject, um, basically is embedded to this first paragraph with a clear purpose, right? I'm writing you concerning, you know, X, Y, Z, and then some details about when I purchased it. You just go into depth, again, documenting. What happened? What's the situation? Give me the details. What do you want us to do about it? We have the request, okay. I want a refund, right? This product is broken. What action do I need? A refund. Um, and then down here at the bottom, they have that enclosure. Again, just making sure that the reader knows that the copy of the receipt and the service instructions have been provided, right? So think of letters. Usually they're going to be used to like request more information or complain about something or try to get an adjustment for something. Um, might be sent digitally, might be sent over email, um, but it is going to be just make sure it's more kind of in-depth um, and detailed and formal than, you know, other emails that you might just, you know, send over to your teammates. 
Oh, also a big difference. A letter is almost always sent to an external person, whereas emails as a genre tend to be sent to our internal, right? Our own kind of team. So if you're also sending it to like an outside company, think of it more as sending a letter than sending them an email. Oh, and here's just kind of a zoomed in version of that beginning so we can see their purpose statement here, right? I'm writing you concerning these garden sprayers that I purchased. They're wrong. They are broken. All three had a faulty flow control. So we get right into it. Here's the purpose of why I'm writing to you. Here's the details that you need to kind of rectify that situation. All right. That was emails, memos, and letters. Pretty formal. We just want to kind of state and summarize or request information are the most common reasons you write emails, memos, and letters. We're going to shift gears a little bit to talk about progress reports. Again, probably the most, one of the most common things you'll, you'll end up doing in your kind of careers, no matter what your career is. So with progress reports, they might be sent as a memo. <laughs> so your content in your progress report might show up as a memo to the kind of like vague group holding you accountable. Your progress report might show up as an email sent to your specific boss or your specific team, or, you know, it could show up as its own standalone specific report. Um, that kind of standalone, more specific report format um, is probably going to be for really big projects, really big team projects, or things that are worth like a lot of money. They might want a very own, like, this is just my progress report alone. So no matter kind of how you are delivering your progress report, um, the big things that you need to keep in mind, right? Obviously, you're going to have some sort of little beginning that's always going to introduce, you know, here's a purpose, here's a refresher, a background on the project, give the scope of the project, and the summary of the project. So if it is a quick progress status update to your supervisor as an email, that might just be one sentence because they're probably also super in the loop with what you're working on. If it is its standalone report to people who are literally investing millions of dollars into this research, your introduction, your scope, your summary sections are probably going to be, you know, a page um, or more because it's really important and they need to make sure they know. Also, the scope is probably a lot bigger. So it just kind of depends. Then you always need to make sure that you outline the status of the work. So actually give me the progress. Again, it might be a couple bullet points if it's just going to your teammates or your supervisor, uh, or it might need to be much more in depth, really broken down with, you know, graphs and a calendar view. You might make a, a Gantt chart, uh, which is basically just when you see like, the time frame of projects displayed out. This is kind of what a, a Gantt chart looks like. Um, so you want to give that, make sure that you talk about the budget and then they want a status update because it costs time and money to do these projects. So make sure you give them the money situation um, as well as maybe how many hours you put into it since hours translate to things like salary in the budget. 
And then you'll just end with any conclusions if you have requests that you need to like make the project work moving forward or other recommendations, you can put that at the end. So whether it's a super short internal, excuse me, email or a super structured, like formal, thanks for the millions, here is my full little status report that I'm gonna give you every quarter. Um, make sure you have that introduction scope refresh them on what this project is, give them the actual progress, talk about the budget as it as applicable, uh, and then end with any requests that you need. And you have a couple options in terms of how you want to uh, talk about the progress basically. So no matter which direction you go, whether it is you know more in that like time-based or more in that task-based, you need to make sure you talk about the work that's completed, the work that's remaining. That's really the only thing people really, really care about. The whole reason why you're writing it, the whole reason somebody is bothering to read it is because they want to know what work has been completed, what work is remaining. Okay, so you could do it in more of a time base where you kind of say, okay, over the last month, we completed XYZ task. Next month, we're going to complete these tasks. Or you could do more of a task base where you say, Task one happened last month and it took this long. Here's what we did. Okay, task two, you know, got started a couple weeks ago. Here's what we do. So in both cases, you're still saying what's been completed, when it was completed, you know, how long it took, what steps are remaining. Um, but one is just organized more by like the time. That can be really helpful if it's a project that has um, one, a super hard set and stone delivery date and it's taking place over a long period of time, you know, a six month long project, a year long project, a multi year project might lend itself better to a time based approach because you are working in these big chunks. We can be like, okay, over the first quarter, here's everything we did. Um, and then shorter projects, um, you know, might work better for task based or if it has like a lot of tasks associated with it. Um, so, you know, so it's things like, okay, this project should be able to wrap up in within a month. It probably isn't as useful to talk about last week we did this. Instead, you might say, okay, we completed this task, this task, we hit a roadblock on this task, but we're getting started on this task. Um, again, you can use kind of both. It just really depends on the time period, your stakeholders, the type of task you're doing, but just know you're either talking about over this time period, we did these, or here's my task and here's how long it took, no matter what, what's completed, what's remaining. That's what I'm really looking for and trying to care about um, as the funder. All right, um, here is a little example. And um, these examples are linked for you in the reference way. For the most part, the email ones aren't, um, but a lot of these are gonna be linked for you in the reference way. Um, just so you can, again, get a sense. There's a lot of different ways you could do it. As with all examples, it's more of like inspiration, um, but we wanna have some of those key things to pay attention to. And this came out of the Creative Commons. Um, and so in this case, right, they have their kind of little summary, refresh, right, overview of what's happening. And then they broke it down into the three main phases. So it's not really 
it's not so much a time base. This is more of a task based example um, because they're not saying, okay, you know, phase one explicitly has to happen at this time. There are projects where that could be true. I'm thinking if it's like a PR campaign, you know, phase one might happen leading up to the event and phase two is time-based because it's during the event and phase three is post-event. But in this case, it's more of phase one is the set of tasks and it's not so much about the time. Phase two is when we actually perform this task, the test. Phase three is analyzing. And then as they like went down, um, this little snip is just showing how they go into more detail with, okay, objective one, the material info is about obtaining test materials. Um, you know, I, if I could give them some feedback on this example, I would make sure that, you know, the title for your objective one matches more explicitly to the bullet points here, um, just to make sure nobody gets confused. Basically, they're saying, okay, objective one, this was this kind of first phase. Here's what work has been, you know, completed. And then later on, they talk about, okay, objective two in this phase, here's what's been completed. Here's what needs to be completed. So don't overthink it. Just make sure you explain what's up. Summary, refresh us, what happened, what needs to happen. All right. Okay, and then this one, I mean, kind of breeze through. It's just called an incident report. Super important in a lot of different, like kind of every workplace will have some form of this report, but often these do end up being like an online report or a standard form that you have to fill out. Uh, but you might need to, you know, create this form. Um, if you're starting like a new company and it's all on you, right? You, you should take some time to make sure you know how you want to structure your incident reports. Um, and then of course, if something happens, even if your company has a form, here's what you should make sure you take your personal notes on so you're prepared to fill out that report. Um, and incident reports, accident reports, um, there's other names, I suppose. They basically just describe any event that needs a record and documentation around it. Again, it's something that's going to be uh, referenced later and just needs that paper trail. Um, and usually, usually it's because of an accident, some sort of trauma at work, an HR violation, sexual harassment, discrimination, or if that happens to you find your company's or your organization's, you know, incident report to make sure that gets just documented and protects you. Um, or if you have damaged equipment, whether you broke it or you just came in in the morning and it was broken, right, you'll need to do an incident report for that, probably. Um, and like I said, you'll probably need to fill it out. Like most places have this established because they're so important. And here's kind of the standard um, form that you should expect to put in your incident report. So it's things like the date location. So again, this is something that happened right at work. So we need to know where at work, when at work, is it out in the field, which field site, was it in the office, was it in the break room, you know, make sure you know when it happened, date, time often is important too. And then the location, right? That's super key take a minute as soon as an incident happens, if, if you can, try to note about the time that it's happening. Make sure you have all that info down for them. Um, you'll probably have to do things like the parties involved, right? It could be people, but it could also just be like equipment. Um, you'll need to think about the outcome. So basically just making sure you have a really good, 
clear, rich description of what went down. Uh, any other context, especially if something is like damaged, you might need to explain like what you were doing when it broke. Um, and again, it's not like, so you'll be in trouble or anything like that. It's so that way they know, um, you know, maybe you could have been following the user manual and then that would be an indication that they need to revise the user manual. Or if you weren't doing exactly the user manual, right, we still need to report that again. It's like an ethical thing. Um, so that way they can prevent it from happening in the future. They can be like, make sure you don't do this, right, because it's going to break the equipment or whatever. Um, so just some context. Uh, any next actions is pretty common for you to actually get a chance to offer recommendations or talk about what solutions you're seeking or you think need to happen. Um, there's like, like an accident. Some of your next actions might be, you know, filing for workers comp um, because you got injured on the job. Right. Uh, and then usually you'll need to sign it in some way because uh, the end it is you being like, I'm the one that is documenting this, and so you need that official signature. Uh, so this is actually the incident report form from UCCS. Um, this is for staff, but it's folks in the residence hall. So yeah, we just see those common areas, and it is something filled out online. So who's filling out the reports? Um, you know, your contact information, where did it happen? This is a residence hall, so they want like the room number or where in the residence halls it happened. Date, the time, right? Parties involved. Again, you just want to know what happened, where did it happen, when did it happen, who did it happen to, pretty standard things to document the situation. Um, and then, you know, they have more optional things. Okay, just select what type of report, what type of incident. Um, your company might have one report that's specifically for, you know, these sexual harassment, discrimination things, and a whole different report that's just for equipment. Or it could be one report like this, where you have things like property damage in the same thing as a personal injury, you know, in the same place as things like theft or abuse, right? It just depends on your job, your vibe, your company, what's going to serve you best. Um, and then, yeah, you can just put like who was contacted, what else happened, and then we have a description at the bottom. Uh, so you could also write this out in more of a letter form as well. So again, um, this is kind of going to just like all of these employees kind of describing this situation. Um, and, you know, that, that this incident happened. Um, and so this is more of a memo format because it's going out to a, like the whole, all the employees, right? A bunch of people, right? So it might have been sent as an email, but it's a memo because it's one to many without an expectation um, that you should uh, reply to it. Um, yeah, basically, right? And then you just, you just explain, here's, here's the date, the time, where the incident happened, some broken pipe, um, you know, who did it happen to? Um, it is, I would say, kind of interesting how in this example, they like name who is injured. Again, that might be important for your workplace. Um, but I would say probably don't be like, your employee so-and-so had this happen to them. Um, 
maybe necessarily if you're like sending it to all the employees. So I would definitely just like critique that um, aspect of this example a little bit. Um, but again, it's just going to depend on kind of the situation. But we do see, okay, concerns, recommendations. Um, and this is definitely why, um, you know, why this is being sent to everybody. It's like, hey, this incident happened and it's important that you know about it because we want to keep you safe. Here's the context um, and why, you know, what you should not do sort of next time, what kind of information should be important. All right, those are incident reports. So the last type of report that we're going to talk about in this lecture is just briefs. A brief just refers to a short summary of basically a longer project idea. We usually um, will send briefs to like get a stakeholder or a team on board with a plan. You can almost think of it as like a pre-proposal um, because you still have to put like work and effort and time into it, but a lot less time than doing a full proposal. So you're not totally sure or if there's going to be extra approvals, you might consider a brief just to make sure the information is on board. Um, that's where you use them a lot in like the creative side, um, as in like PR and social media or any sort of like creative aspect. Again, you want to make sure the vision and the elements and the clients on board before you put in all this work creating assets. Um, but the other types of briefs we're going to talk about are technical briefs, which don't get used as much anymore. They were really popular for a while, um, like a couple decades ago. <laughs> um, we don't see them quite as much now, uh, just because we have so many other ways to share more like public facing information. Um, so technical briefs often are for a little bit more of a lay audience, same with a research brief, um, because they are just summarizing like these key things that you want somebody to know. Um, they often get written for more public communication. And now we just instead would like make a social media post or a video or a podcast. Um, but they still, you know, are really cool, just way to capture that key info that you want to know. So, these common sections of a brief, and, and we're talking short, right? A brief literally should be like just a couple pages, ideally. Um, it could go up maybe like five, six, but if you're pushing five or more pages, maybe you're actually writing the report and not a brief about the report. So I tried to keep them really short, um, but you just want to think about goals, motivations, right? What's the background of the work? What's the situation? Um, you're probably going to put things like objectives. So it's like the reasons um, for that work was completed, expectations of the work, uh, why that research was conducted, some of those highlights, uh, and then often things like scope and the content. So you just kind of outline the, you know, positioning of the research, of the creative, um, of the technical concept, and any other work plans or details. So super, super focused, just like Here's what you absolutely need to know to understand this situation and act accordingly. Um, and so the three kind of types are going to be creative briefs, and these still are used a ton. Um, definitely, like I, I constantly was using creative briefs when I worked in that more creative field, and we had to get those approvals um, before we launched, you know, a full campaign. Uh, or um, because I had, you know, my social media intern and then my other social media and operations person, and I needed to make sure that we were all on the same page with what the goal of the campaign was. So that way, as they're creating the different assets and scheduling and planning content, 
it all came together um, in the same way. So briefs are really helpful there. Then we'll talk about technical briefs. Um, yeah, just kind of summarizing basically uh, a technical concept, which is anything <laughs> related to kind of that nuanced, high-level, complicated situations, uh, and then a research brief, um, which is, again, much more for like academic purposes. People don't want to read your full 30-page manuscript or research paper, but they might read your two-page brief so that way they can use your research and have some outcomes because of it. All right, so creative brief. Um, some specific things that need to go into a creative brief that don't go into the other brief types um, are going to be, again, project description. That's going to be there. Objectives. Again, what is the point of this creative thing? In this case, it's like an ebook campaign launch. What are you trying to accomplish? Get out of it. For creative briefs, we need to very explicitly, we always write out the audience, right? So we practice that rhetorical situation, coming up with our audience statements, right? So we see written out, okay, it's entrepreneurs, here's their age, here's some of their education, what are they interested in, right? So what is their deal? You know, why and kind of when would they find this content valuable, interesting? So for creative briefs, we explicitly write that out. So that way, again, everybody creating the graphics and the assets understand who we're trying to talk to, the tone, the language, that kind of stuff. Um, and then you just talk about messaging and tone, what needs to be delivered, what needs to be created. Um, you might put things like uh, stakeholders, just you know who's going to be working on it, who needs to approve this kind of stuff, who's the team, what's the budget, what's the timeline, how are you going to distribute it. So creative brief is just all the things, right, your creative team needs to know to start working on that campaign. Again, this brief could then be sent to whoever is approving the budget or funding the project so they get a sense of the plan before you put a bunch of resources into actually making the assets. Uh, well, it's just like a zoomed in so we can see a little bit better. So the objectives get, they want to get this many ebook downloads. Here's why they want to get that many. Right, so we're very explicit so we can go back and see if it worked or not, basically. Um, and then any notes that the creative team is going to need um, that can help you basically track. So then you can turn your creative brief into then your progress reports, right? And so you already have all this great information that you can rewrite and turn into a summary section. Uh, and then you have, you know, your different kind of tasks that you start to lay out. Okay. This was one, you know, deliverable, the landing page. Where are we at in terms of creating the landing page? You know, where are we at in terms of our social media copy? That kind of stuff. Cool. All right, so then the next kind um, is that technical brief. So this came from the National Park Service. Um, they, like, were really big into doing these briefs um, and a lot of, like, Government programs still release briefs. Um, and again, one reason is because government agencies need to, you know, release information to the public, right? They are funded by the public. Uh, they're doing work and coming up with these concepts and information for the public. And so a brief is just a really great way to share information to the public because it's just more accessible and it's shorter and it's easier to consume. Um, and so that's why we see a lot of uh, government related briefs. 
And then basically, okay, we have the title, you know, who wrote it, nice little, you know, summary, more information about, you know, who published it, where it was published, and then they kind of break down, okay, what is civic engagement? And they're now explaining this kind of complicated sort of topic about archaeology and civic engagement and the connection. Um, and in this brief, we also see some good, you know, here's all the sections of the brief, including, you know, resources, references, um, and we see a bunch of examples. And so if this was a full, like, full-on technical report, it easily could be like 30, 40 pages long, even more. Um, but as a brief, um, I think they kept it, it was, it was like five pages total because they do have a lot of sections, but they condensed what easily could go on for a really long time and be super detailed to, okay, what does this more public audience need to know? What are the key factors um, and scope and things about this technical topic that's going to help people act um, and change their behavior? So technical briefs, just think of it as condensing a really big topic into the most important key actions for the public to do something with your info. And that goes along with research briefs as well. Um, and so like, yeah, we could maybe argue that research is a type of technical writing, like it, it certainly is. Um, but these ones, um, I would say for me, at least the difference, I see the technical brief more as like explaining a concept or like a tool or a function or something. Um, and the research brief is more explicitly like we did research, we did this study. Here's two pages explaining the study to you. Um, so in this case, um, this um, was about um, uh like school, it was published by right, all these universities and stuff about education, basically. Uh, and in it, again, this easily, I'm sure the full report was 30 pages. That's uh, a pretty standard research manuscript length. Um, but, and they condensed it into just these two pages. That's all it was um, with those most important highlights. And they use some really nice, you know, color and layout and design to make what can be really hard to read a full research paper into something the general audience and the public could understand and do something with. They outline, you know, here's the study purpose. What was the problem? Here's how we, you know, measured it. Then they have a nice table to make it really clear, like the pros and the cons of all these situations, right? What is a kind of a long couple pages to read could be distilled into a really nice table like that. Um, and same, adding a second page with all these charts and graphs. Don't list out all of these numbers for the public to read. Nobody wants to do that. Um, well, maybe not nobody, but most of the public audience is like, mm, what? Um, so graphs, we love a graph. Saves a bunch of space as well. It would take pages to explain all these graphs and writing. And then the key takeaways as a really key thing of that research brief. What can people do with this research? You've given them enough information. Now you need to make sure it's very clear what action happens next. All right. We did it, y'all. Great job out here. Um, and so today's lecture, right? We talked about this kind of general a category of, of technical professional business writing um, that we can just consider like action reports. And by action reports, I just mean these short forms of documents that capture 
the action happening that summarize a situation, right? Or request inf like information or actions that need to happen, um, or document like incidences or give progress and status updates, right? They're just all about like, here's what is happening in this really small scale focus situation around me um, and how you can act on it. And then we went through a whole bunch of the genres and expectations for that, from the differences among various emails to when instead, right, you might be actually writing a letter and just sending it as an email to different, you know, incident, accident reports, and then ending with that idea of a brief which a creative brief is a very specific thing that it captures the plan for like a campaign or a video or something that you're making. So that way you can get approval and have that really good clarity to the other types of brief technical research, which you can think of as basically summarizing the most important things for like action from, you know, a larger research project or a really complicated concept into a nice kind of um, thing that could be publicly consumed. These kind of action reports are some, I think, the most common, um, and even though they're short, they definitely can take a minute to write. Um, they have a little bit of stakes to them since we want to make sure our audience is able to understand what you're trying to describe, you are capturing and documenting that action correctly, um, and that you are kind of laying out the next action steps. Um, so they're short, but they're important. Just be very literal, direct, share the as much information as the reader needs, um, and that is going to help them understand the situation. Um, so that way, everybody can get on the same board and you can really direct what happens next. All right, thanks, associates.